Hey, there is a, a travel industry, right, that is a multi-billion dollar business. And uh, people travel for all different kinds of reasons. I'm, I'm sure everybody here has, has been on a plane or, or been on a train or been on a bus or in a car and has, has traveled from one place to the next. We, we, we travel for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, maybe for business, maybe for a pleasure to kind of uh, relax. We call it a vacation, right? We, we, we travel today to visit family because we're all stretched out across the country. But there is a niche of people who, who travel for a different reason. And, and I don't know how many there are, but it's a small, it's a small group. And, and they have a bucket list. And on their bucket list is, is to chalk off or to scratch off seeing as many of the natural wonders that are in the world as possible, you know? Uh, for example, uh, Victoria Falls. Uh, it, it was so beautiful to, to have that waterfalls is one of the uh, backgrounds of that last song that we sang. But uh, Victoria Falls, they, they say that Victoria Falls can literally take your breath away. That before you ever see it, you, you hear it, uh, you could actually feel its vibration. You, you could feel the mist that is kind of carried about by the wind. And uh, you, could, you could just, you know, sense the, the awesomeness of this mighty power. I said in the earlier service that some say that, that compared to Niagara Falls, it makes Niagara Falls kind of look like, a, like a, a, a rain, you know, puddle. You know, I don't know if that's true, but, but, uh, but it, is, it is an awesome sight. Uh, the, the, the next photo that I wanted to share with you is of the uh, mountain range uh, in Nepal. And people travel from all around the world to, to visit the, the, the mountain range. And, and how majestic are they? How, how absolutely beautiful they are. I don't know. Uh, let me ask you, has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? A few people, right? They, they, they say that uh, to, to just look at the Grand Canyon, to, to be... To, to be there visibly and to take it all in is, is a sense of wonder. I, I guess that's why they call it <laughs> wonders, right? Uh, but by the way, in searching for a photo, I came across a, a list of uh, hints if you're going to visit uh, the Grand Canyon. And the first one is don't stand too close to the edge. <laughs> Good advice, right? Don't stand too close to the edge. It is, it is awesome. But, 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 but you know what? I, I, I got to say this, that that it's good to be passionate about something, and, and it's okay to be passionate about seeing all these wonders, but if you view these wonders, you know, travel all this distance, but you view these wonders apart from the knowledge of the one who created them, then, then, then to me it's kind of majoring on missing the point. You see, the, the point is that, that he made all things for himself and for his pleasure, they have their being. And so to view these things in, in the light of the magnanimous creator who, who fashioned it all and, and made it all for his purposes and for his pleasure, I, I believe is to touch upon, th that knowledge is to touch upon some of the greatness of our, of our God and of our, our Savior, whose name, by the way, is wonderful because he is full of wonder. This universe, you know, if, if we can see the universe as marvelous as it is through the lens of this mag, magnanimous creator, I, I believe that we will uh, have a life change experience. You know what? You could be an astrophysicist. 
You can be a biologist of the first order, but if you don't believe in the existence of the one who created all things, then to me, you know what that proves? It proves that you have an education and your major was missing the point. And the point being that, that the heavens declare the glory of God. The universe itself, I believe the cosmos itself is the canvas upon which God has chosen to express his greatness. You know, I want you to think about that for a minute. That the universe, as wonderful as it is, you know, the Milky Way, they say, has over a billion stars in, in, our, in our one galaxy. And that there are possibly billions of galaxies in the universe, in the known universe. And, and that is awesome because the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so, and so we, we get an, uh, just a glimpse of just how awesome and how great God is. And you know what that's called? That, that's called perspective. Because, because what this is, is it's more than information. It's life. You see, to know God is more than information. It is life. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of Jesus, who said in John 17, 3, this is life, that they might know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom God and, and that literally becomes more than information. It becomes life to us. Now, there's a group of people. I want to kind of draw this distinction or this comparison of, of how important it is to have perspective of something that is wonderful, something that is awesome. There's a small niche of people, maybe two, three, I don't know, maybe four dozen. I didn't look into it. People in the world that stand apart from the seven billion people, they have a unique perspective. And, and their perspective is, has, has changed the way they, they think, changed the way they, they feel, changed the way they live. You might be wondering, well, who am I talking about? This small niche of people that are so unique that they have this distinction between the 7 billion people that call this planet home. And you know who they are? They're travelers, but only they're space travelers. They're astronauts who have gone and landed on the moon. They're, they're, they're astronauts who have, who have spent months and months in zero gravity up in a, a space station, hundreds and hundreds of miles above the earth. And their perspective of the earth is just that, that it is a jewel, just, you know, swimming through the universe in the, in the darkness of space. And, and, and they esteem that world as being beautiful. This is, this is Alan Shepard, who's an astronaut. This is what he said. When I first looked back at the earth, standing on the moon, I cried. He was so moved by, by the beauty and the sight of the planet earth. And, and it really is an amazing planet that has sustained us and 7 billion people. And, and, and all, all that is living on this earth is the gift of God that God has given to us. So I want to draw this this kind of comparison, that that unique group of people is like another unique group of people. And it's because of the perspective that this group of people have, including myself, is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. And, and I don't know what our numbers are in the earth, you know, but compared to the 7 billion people that are on planet earth, I, I would say that we're probably you know, a minority by comparison 
to 7 billion people. And so, and so what that means to me is that how privileged are we? For if you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and have a personal relationship with him, how blessed are you? You are, what the Bible says, highly favored in the beloved, that God has favored you, that God has revealed himself to you because it takes God to reveal God. You have to know that a miracle of opening our blind eyes has taken place. God's revealed himself to us. That God-centered perspective of the greatness of Jesus Christ changes us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we feel. It changes the way we live to understand this. And then that becomes the rock upon which our lives are now built upon the knowledge. Remember what, what Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock and I will build my church. Well, he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about himself, the revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, I want to, I want to, first, the first scripture I want to look at, I want to look at a couple this morning, but, but the first I want to look at is, is something written by the man whose name was Saul of Tarsus, and, and his, his conversion that, that began to call him Paul. And he was, he was set out to persecute the church, to arrest believers, to, to drag them off, to throw them in prison, and even preside over their execution. And he had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ that brought about transformation. Within three days, he was now seen in the synagogue preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. He understood more about Jesus probably than any other human being that's ever lived. He wrote 14 of the 28 books of, that we call the New Testament. His revelations were, 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 were given him not by others, not by flesh and blood, but by an encounter with the Spirit of God, giving him understanding and revelation. So, so we're, we're going to take this from somebody who could say, I know him in whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able. And you know what? You could fill in the blank that Jesus Christ is able, and he does all things well. So listen to what Paul says. And I want you to notice the number of times that the word all things are mentioned in these two short sentences. So he says, all things were created through him and for him. Not some things, not most things, but all things were created through him and for him. And he is before, again, all things. In him, all things consist. That is, all things are held together. Do you know the reason why the chairs that you're sitting on, I mean, you're not collapsing and, and falling on the floor? Because they say that there are uh, protons and there are uh, atoms that are moving so quickly uh, within matter that you can't see them, but, but it's Jesus, I want you to know, who's holding you up today sitting in that chair. He holds all things and all things consist in him so that in all things he may have the preeminence. Preemin what, is, what is preeminence? Uh, some translate, uh, that he might have the supremacy, all right? And, and what that simply means is that there is none greater. There is none to compare to him. Now, I want to just kind of give you very quickly uh, something extra, you know? No extra charge for this, okay? I'm just going to share this with you. This is a great way of understanding the Bible. You know, some people are afraid of, of reading the Bible because they can't understand it. But, but you know the best commentary, commentary on the Bible? You know what it is? It's the Bible, 
The best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. One verse of Scripture will shed light upon another. And so to help us understand what the preeminence of Jesus looks like, I want to look at a verse that was written a thousand years before Paul. And it's a, a guy by the name of King David. And this is what he wrote. He says in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, or we could say the preeminence, and the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor. There's not one word to describe, simply put, that there is none greater. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. You own it all. God, you made all things. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted over all. Those verses shed light on what Paul means by preeminence, that he is the owner and the maker of all things. The very cosmos, I believe, is the canvas upon which God has spread out his greatness to reveal his greatness to us human beings because the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I, I gave you the principle, but, but let, let me share with you an illustration to prove my point that when we see the greatness of Jesus, it changes us, changes the way we think, changes the way we, we feel and live, okay? The disciples of Jesus, you may have read this in the Gospels, they are caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee and the waves and the, and the wind is, is so terrifying to them that they believe. Now listen, these are experienced fishermen. Th these are experienced men who knew how to navigate the, the waters. But now they despair of all hope of surviving. They believe that they're about to die, right? Until, until Jesus steps forward and with the word of his mouth, with the word of his command, he shuts the the storm down, the winds cease, and the, there's a calm, and the waves become like crystal. And these guys, once they're able to pick their jaws up off the boat and break the silence because they probably were in awe of what took place, they began to say among themselves, what, 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 man, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I believe that even this initial partial display, not, not, not the fullness, but the partial display of his greatness changed the way they felt, changed the way they, they thought, changed the way they began to live forever. Now, I want to draw this comparison once again with that unique group of space travelers and say that we, we likewise are a unique group of people because we look at we, we look at the cosmos, we look at the universe through the magnanimous eyes of a creator who has loved us and who has made all things for his pleasure and for his purpose. Out of the billions of people, we are blessed. Now let me share this statement with you. The knowledge of his greatness becomes the strength and the stability that secures our heart in the midst of of a very turbulent world. i read it again. The knowledge of his greatness becomes the strength and the stability that secures our heart in the midst of a turbulent world. This is not just information. As I said, this is life. The word of God is alive and powerful. So for the next few minutes, I want to 
take you through one of the books of the New Testament called the Letter to the Hebrews or the Book of Hebrews because that book was specifically written by the Holy Spirit who, who by the way, there's, there's no one who loves Jesus greater than the Holy Spirit and whose object and whose ministry is to magnify him, to, to reveal Christ. And so the Holy Spirit inspired this letter called the book of Hebrews to show us the superiority of Christ, the, the, the greatness of Jesus, that he is indeed, uh, has the supremacy and the preeminence, that there is none greater. So just, just to make it clear, this letter, this book of the Bible was written in the first century and it was written to those, those Jewish believers because at first there were only Jewish believers who followed Jesus. So in Jerusalem, there were, there were Jewish believers who followed Jesus and there, were, and there were Jewish believers who didn't believe in Jesus. And so this letter was written really to both and, and, and mostly to those that, that were, were to be convinced that Jesus was superior. So we begin then in verse 1 of he, the book of Hebrews. So right from the start, the writer wants us to know the superiority of Christ. And so he says that in the past, in our long history, God has spoken to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, is, is, is drawing over a long history where, where there were men like Abraham and, and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, uh, D- David and some of the other prophets who, who had pieces of this puzzle, who were messages used by God to reveal his will, to reveal his purposes, right? But, but, notice the next verse. But in this last hour, he has spoken to us, by his son. Literally, Jesus is the language by which God has revealed himself. You see, Jesus is not only the messenger, Jesus is the message. All these prophets, these prophetic voices, they had pieces of the puzzle, but Jesus is the fullness of what God wants to reveal in his purposes. But in this last hour, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. There's that phrase again, all things. And through him, he made the universe. The sun is the radiance, the outglowing brightness of God's presence. The Bible calls God the Father, the Father of lights. And Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the word of his mighty power. That, that's it. He's, he's keeping everything together. The universe, the reason, why, the, the reason why galaxies are not colliding into one another and stars are not colliding into one another is because Jesus is, by the word of his power, is keeping all things exactly where they ought to be. Now, the point, first point, is very simple. And that point is that Jesus is greater than the prophets. That the prophets who came speaking uh, God's word who were moved along by the Holy Spirit, only had a part of the message, but Jesus is the fullness of that message, and therefore Jesus is greater. I can point to some of the miracles, like like the raising of Lazarus. No one was ever, I mean, there were resuscitations in the Old Testament, but no one ever raised anyone who had been dead for four days, whose body had already begun to corrupt. I I could point to the, the miracle of Jesus not, not only giving recovery of sight to the blind, you know, it's one thing to restore somebody who is blind, 
But it's another thing altogether. And no one, the world has never heard of anyone giving sight to one who had been born blind and had never seen. And so Jesus excels. Some of the prophets were mighty in word. Some of the prophets were mighty in deed. But Jesus was mighty in both word and deed. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to concentrate on what the Word says, not just the miracles of Jesus. So, Jesus is greater than the prophets. And, and Elijah was one of the mighty powerhouses of the Old Testament. And, and if you know anything about him, this guy called fire out of the air, fire out of heaven, to consume a sacrifice as in a contest. <coughs> Excuse me. He prayed that it would not rain, and for three and a half years, not one drop of, of water fell in all of Israel. But Jesus is greater, because Jesus called the fire of God's judgment down upon himself and was not consumed. Jesus is greater because Jesus opened up the, the floodgates of heaven and poured out mercy and forgiveness upon unworthy sinners like me. Like you. And so Jesus is greater. And while we're still in the first chapter of uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, one of the other esteemed groups of people, or not, I shouldn't say people, but esteemed groups uh, for, the, for the Hebrews were angels. Angels made at various times visitations, and they were, they were you know, kind of awestruck by the, the, their mighty presence. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is greater than the angels, for at no time had God the Father ever said to any of the angels, you are my beloved son, sit here at my right hand. Your throne, O God, is forever and forever. But to Jesus, the Father said, sit here at my right hand. And so Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus made the angels. All things, all things were made by him and for him. And Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, that great mystery, fully God, fully man, is co-equal and co-glorious and co-eternal with God the Father. And therefore, because he is God, he is greater than the angels. So here's, here's another group we can just kind of scratch off as being Jesus being greater. And so remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Hebrew, some who, who, who follow Jesus and some who don't follow Jesus yet. And his desire is to show that in all these areas, Jesus is superior. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because <clears throat> this is not just information. The Bible t does teach us that people perish for the lack of knowledge. That without a revelation, people also perish. And so having this information is more than just knowledge. It becomes life to those that find it. And so the next person on the list that, that the writer wants to let us know that he's greater than is Moses. There was probably nobody more esteemed than Moses in the Old Testament. In fact, even in the New Testament, when we read about the Pharisees and the scribes in the Gospels, they're constantly saying, no, we're the disciples of Moses. We follow Moses, you know? And so they venerated and they exalted Moses because he was a spokesman for God. But here is Jesus, God in the flesh, who is speaking on behalf of his heavenly father. And so Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, it's true that Moses rescued the people of God through God 
and, and deliver them from Egyptian bondage. But Jesus delivers us who believe from the power and dominion of Satan and the domain of sin as well. Moses had a measure of radiance, but we just read in that verse from Hebrews that Jesus is the, the son of, of the radiance of God's glory. Now, now, you might have read this, that when Moses was in God's presence, he would, he, would, he would then go and speak to the people, and his face was lit up, you know, like, like a thousand, you know, LED lights, you know, and it scared the bejeebas out of everybody. Anybody know what bejeebas are? I have no idea. But, but it scared them, right? So that Moses, not wanting to scare the people, but being his, their representative, he put a veil over his face. But in time, because it was just a reflection of being in God's presence, in time, that, that, that light began to grow dim. But Moses didn't want to be diminished in the sight of his own people, and so he kept that veil there. Well, well, well Jesus, his, his glory will never fade. You might remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were there, and they're seeing Jesus, and he's radiant with glory. It's like the veil was just drawn back for a moment. And the true identity of Jesus was being revealed. Yeah, he is fully man, but this is also God, Emmanuel. The word of God with us, the word of God has come among us. Glorious. And his brightness will never be diminished. Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses... Moses struck out in anger. He lost his temper at an Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian and then, and then out of fear, buried the Egyptian in the sand, fled for fear. But Jesus allowed wicked men to put him on a cross. And Jesus was buried, but on the third day, he rose again. And Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. So next, the, the apostle is taking us into Joshua. Joshua was the successor of Moses, and, and he was able to bring the people into the land of milk and honey, the land of promise, where Moses could not because of his own disobedience. But Joshua, Joshua won some battles, but the writer says there is yet a rest for the people of God, which Joshua was unsuccessful in bringing about. He had, he had won some battles, but ultimately he lost the war. Because it wasn't long after Joshua that the children of Israel fell into many sinful practices and fell far away from God. Jesus is greater than Joshua because he ushered into existence a lasting rest so that you and I cease from trying to strive God to, uh, to, to get God's approval. We cease, we cease trying to strive to win God's approval because we rest now in the achievements and the accomplishments of Christ, and that is more glorious. Let me, let me just say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for coming today. I, I, hope, I hope that you will hear something that will touch your heart, but I want you to know this, that G, the, this is good news. This is the gospel, that Jesus is able to rescue all that will come unto God through him, and that there is no other way, that he, he is the only way to come to God the Father. The law came by Moses. Remember the movie, The Ten Commandments? You know, Charlton Heston, you know? Uh, no one has ever been rescued from their sinfulness 
by keeping the Ten Commandments, or by keeping any of the commandments, because it's impossible. Jesus showed how impossible it was on the Mount of, of Olives, where the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're as guilty as if you committed adultery. If you are angry with your brother for, for no good cause, then you're as guilty as if you murdered him. And if you broke one of the commandments, James says, you're as guilty as if you broke them all. That's the kind of perfection that God requires. But that's the kind of perfection that Jesus provides by grace. And grace is doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Grace is resting in the accomplishments and achievements of Jesus Christ. The other reason why this is so important, if you are a believer, is so that you would, you would just be encouraged to know just how great and awesome a Savior we have, that there is none greater. And the knowledge of his greatness, what that does is the perception of his perfection produces in us confidence. The confidence that his sacrifice was completely satisfying to God. You know what that means? That means that we're delivered from fear, the fear of, of punishment. That we're no longer, you know, like children rocked to and, and, and fro, save one day, lost the next, save one day, lost the next. No, we have an assurance. Our security comes from our confidence in his great worth. Not in our ability to keep ourselves but in his ability to keep what we commit unto him against that day. This is, this is stability for our souls. No matter how foreboding the storms of life may be, no matter how difficult my problems may be, he's greater than my problems. He's greater than any storm. He's greater than any temptation. And you know what that means? It means then greater is he, the spirit that is in you, than the spirit that is in the world. And that ought to bring great courage and boldness to our hearts. The next thing that the writer talks about, he talks about the sacrifices in the Old Testament and says how that Jesus has taken away the old and he's introduced the new, which is better. And, and he talks about the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. It was only a temporary covering until, until the sacrifice was to come. How many of you know someone who is just tortured over something that they can't get forgiveness for, that they, they can't even forgive themselves? And their lives have been miserable, and they make others miserable because of some, some area of guilt that they, don't, they can't overcome. Well, let me tell you something. The blood of bulls and goats could not only not take away sin, but the blood of Jesus not only removes sin from us, but also breaks the power of guilt and shame over our lives. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience to serve the living God. That is awesome. And that's why Jesus is greater and his blood is greater. And he's a great high priest. And the reason why I need to know that is because I need an advocate with the Father. I, I need someone to represent me who understands me. And Jesus has been there, done that. He's been tempted in every area just as we are, yet he's without sin and he's sympathetic. He knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to, to have somebody not pay their bill as a carpenter. He knows what it's like to, to be tempted, but without sin. And therefore, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He could lay his hand on God because he is God, and he could lay his hand on me because he is a man. And he's the perfect bridge 
who, who alone can, can accomplish that and, and bring us both together in a way that there's a lasting peace. I've often used this allegory that Revelation says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who stands in the midst of the throne, the Lamb of God. And, and what that means is that he stands before God, but he also stands before us as a representative of his people. And I've always used this to, to just, you know, increase my devotion to the Lord. And that God the Father looks at me now, standing on the other side of Jesus, through the wounds of Jesus. They're like the windows. His wounds are like windows through which he sees us. And that produces confidence. He's a better mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he's, he's a, a better mediator of, better, of a better covenant with better promises. Better ingredients, Papa John. Better ingredients, no, better promises, Papa God. Now, that, you won't forget that. Pastor's talking about Papa John. No, no. Better promises, Papa God. And in chapter 11, we come to chapter 11, and there's this long list of heroes, you know, beginning with Abraham and Enoch and, and, and Noah and all, all these, all the things that they accomplished through faith. They, they, they extinguished the violence of fires. They, 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 they vanquished armies. Women received their, their dead back to life again. But then it's like all of a sudden the writer now breaks with what, and, and because he's talking about how important faith is and without faith it's impossible to please God. So he wants his Hebrew brothers to know you got to have this confidence of faith in God that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But then he breaks off and he says this, looking in chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why is Jesus even greater than all that came before him who had faith? Because Jesus is the source of their faith. They had a measure of faith, but Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. And, and Jesus is the author. He is the source of their faith as well. You know what, this, this, this is the spiritual discipline of looking to Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed in the scripture how many times it says something like uh, fixing your eyes on Jesus. But we see Jesus, consider Jesus who endured such contradiction against himself from sinful men. And, and on and on. Uh, but, but, but we look on things that are unseen for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There is a spiritual discipline that we need that, that's vital for us to fix our eyes in faith upon the Lord Jesus. And how can we do that? We can do that now. Listen, we can do that now when we see Jesus in the Word. Jesus is the living Word revealed in the written Word. And when we have a, a passion to discover Jesus, to discover just how great he is, something awesome takes place. Of all the scriptures that, that, that I would refer to of this spiritual discipline that brings about, for, for, for me, brings about just enrichment, uh, is a verse that was written by the Apostle John. Now, John was the youngest of all the disciples of Jesus. And John... I think John gets it more than some of the others, you know. Uh, number one, the scripture says that Jesus called the 12 to, number one, be with him, and number two, to preach the gospel. Before preaching the gospel, it was so important that they spent time with Jesus. And I think, 
I think John really understood that because what we do is we see Jesus, uh, we see John, excuse me, refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see John laying his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. You know what it tells me? It tells me that John had his ear to the heart of God. You know that you can have your ear to the heart of God as you search for him with all of your heart? You know, John was the only of the disciples who was at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Everyone else fled for fear. But John was close. He stayed close. And that tells me that I'm as close to Jesus today as I want to be. And I want to be closer to him right now than I've ever been in my life. And so John starts off this amazing verse with a call to look at a wonder. And, and he uses this old, old English word called behold. Now, I got to be honest with you. When I think of the word behold, I, I think of Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments with his rod stretched out saying, behold. You know, but I, I, I don't know if John would have spoken like that. I don't think John would have spoken like that. My wife, Kathy, and I, we have this little banter that we sometimes do, you know, like if she's home alone uh, and I come home. Uh, how, how many of you, how many of you, you know Ricky and uh, Lucy Ricardo? All right. So, so I, I would open the door, and I do this once in a while, and when I open the door, I'll yell out, Lucy, I'm a home. I'll do it with a little accent like Ricky does, you know. And she'll, and she'll cry back, you know, as Lucy, and she'll say, Ricky, I'm in here, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, you know what? I've never done this. Listen, I'll be the first one to admit that, that I haven't used the word behold probably ever, you know, in a sentence, you know, so like, it's not like I go through the door and I say, Lucy, behold, it's Ricky. <laughs> it doesn't work, but you know what does work? It works for John, because what John is doing, he's calling us to gaze to fix our eyes with, with surprise and with, and with a sense of wonder at what he's about to say. And so he says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Once we were called the children of disobedience, the children of wrath, but now are we called the children of God. Beloved, that word beloved is not just, I don't know, an adjective or pronoun. It is a title. It's the title God gave to his son. He's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's the title that now God gives to us, his children. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when we, he is revealed, when Jesus is fully displayed, when, when, when there's no longer the need to see Jesus with eyes of faith, but he is revealed, we will be like him. See, there's a process here. For we shall see him as he is, and, and, and that will be the final process. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. When we see how great and glorious Jesus is. See, that is the process of transformation, that we are being changed. I, I got to tell you, 
I, I, I am not yet what I want to be, but I know this, I am not what I used to be. That like you, I'm in process. So I got to ask the question like they, like John is, what kind of love is this anyway? It's hard to describe. It's, it's impossible to describe. It is a love that gives itself away. It's, it's sacrificial. It's, it's magnificent. It, it, it's, it, it's a love that's absolutely extravagant, costly, sacrificial. Words fail us to really describe the love that God has lavished upon us and how privileged are we to know the love of God. This love can cast out fear. And it's all because this wonderful thing has happened to us all because of the one whose name is wonderful. And I don't fully grasp all that our destiny shall entail, but I know it's amazing. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men, the wonderful things that God has in store for us. But there's a process. And this process begins the moment we, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's the process of change. He changes the way we think. He changes the way we feel. He changes the way we live. And change is about being in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. This is great news for us. This is news that we don't have to wait to the ultimate being transformed, but we're being changed little by little, day by day, from one degree of glory to the next. And how can I do that? How can I, how can I have a, a part in doing this? By searching for the greatness of Jesus in the Scriptures. Like I said a moment ago, the living Word is revealed in the written Word. And if the Holy Spirit will illuminate the eyes of my understanding... To see his greatness, it will profoundly affect me. It will change me. It will, it will change you. Even when life hurts and when the enemy of your soul whispers, God's a fraud. He doesn't care about you. He's not compassionate. He's not good. Your soul will rise up and say, but I know him in whom I have believed and I am persuaded of better things than that. Our confidence remains unshaken. Even when there are delays to answered prayer, we know because the scripture reveals that if a prayer is being delayed, it's being delayed for a purpose. And sometimes the purpose is to reveal a greater glory for our good. Now, you could, you could, we could run off that list. Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses, Joshua, and, and all the rest. He's greater than, than any problem that you may have. He's greater than sickness and disease. He's greater than death, for he's overcome death. Even when life hurts and the clouds hide his face from view, I know this, that life sometimes doesn't make sense. I know, I'll be the first to admit that. Life sometimes hurts. And when life doesn't make sense, it is Trusting in his greatness that always makes sense. Trusting in his greatness always makes sense. Trusting in his greatness strengthens our faith. Because this is more than information. This is life to those that find it. Let me read that statement I read earlier. The knowledge of his greatness becomes the strength and the stability that secures our heart in the midst of a turbulent and a troubled world. 
we rest in his greatness, in his great worth. So let me just kind of ask you a question. How many of you like truffles, chocolate truffles? Yeah, my wife can tell you, I could eat a a bag full. And I've I've got a big bag back here I'm going to share with everybody. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, But imagine if I gave you a chocolate truffle. Here's the question. What What does a truffle have in common with the Christian life? Think about that a minute. What does a truffle have in common? with? It's what's at the center that counts. Instead of getting to that gooey, delicious chocolate center, what if I gave you a truffle and you got to the middle and it was a rock? You'd be a little disappointed. You might even be angry at me. I mean, God forbid if we chipped a tooth or broke a tooth or if you swallowed it. You'd be greatly disappointed. So let me ask you this. What's at the center of your life? If Jesus is not at the center of your life, life will be greatly disappointing to you. Great will be the regret. But if Jesus Christ is the essence of your life and the center of your life, I guarantee you, life will not be disappointing. It will be a journey. You'd be traveling from one degree of glory to the next, one wonder to the next. I tell you, over 45-something years ago, I said something similar to this to Jesus. I said, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I believe you loved me enough to die for me. I want to now live for you. You know, all the areas of greatness that I mentioned today, The one area that I need more than anything else is like the air that I breathe. I need to know that I know that he loves me. And you know the the convincing, the proof of this? Scripture says, hereby we perceive the love of God. That perception, hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. That is sufficient proof for me to know that I know that I'm loved by Jesus Christ. And you know what? That, that becomes the strength for my soul. I could face anything knowing that his love is set upon me. If you're here this morning, I hope you've been encouraged. I, I, I hope you will fill in the blank that Jesus is the greatest and, and that he, because of that, you could say with confidence, I know him in whom I've believed. And then fill in the blank that he is able But if you're here this morning and you never put your trust in Christ, can can I just invite you to do what I did so many years ago and I have not one day of regret? I said, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Believe you, love me enough to die for me. Come into my life, change change my life. I want to live for you. If you'll say that today, he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. But more importantly, he'll write your name in his heart. And anyone that will come unto him, he will in no wise, no way ever cast out. That's a promise you can take to heaven with you. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that as the Holy Spirit kind of searches the house, that if there's anyone here today doesn't yet trust in you but wants to put their trust in you, 
that Holy Spirit, that you will lead them now by opening up their heart to show the supremacy and the preeminence of Jesus, that there is none greater than Jesus. And in doing so, Lord God, I, I pray that they would just simply say, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. I believe you love me enough to die for me. I want to now live for you. Holy Spirit, lead them in that prayer. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I pray that you would be strengthened with might by the Spirit in your inner man because you've seen something of the greatness of Jesus today from the Scriptures. And having seen that, that becomes the stability, that becomes the confidence that you need in this life to face anything because of his great worth. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as the worship team closes one more time in this song?